0: Om Sahana Vavatu Sahana Bhunaktu Sahaviryam Karavahay Tejasvina Om Shanti Shanti Shanti. May the Lord protect us both, the teacher and the taught together. May the Lord give us the results of knowledge. May we attain vigor together. Let what we study be illuminating. May we not cavil at each other. Om, peace, peace, peace. Namaste and good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Katha Upanishad class. We are towards the end of the Upanishad, actually. We are on the second chapter. There are two chapters in the second chapter and the final section of the second chapter. Where the teacher? The teacher is none other than the Lord of Death, Yama. And the student is the brilliant uh, and uh, amazing young man, uh, young boy, Nachiketa. So Yama is wrapping up the teaching uh, in this last section. He has told us the nature of the ultimate reality. What is the ultimate reality? Brahman. It is these two aspects pure existence, consciousness, bliss, which is our nature. We are unlimited being, unlimited, um, limitless consciousness and limitless bliss. And also the same the Brahman, uh, which pervades everything, is the reality of this entire universe, is our own reality, we are that. But that also is the god of this universe, the Saguna Brahman or Ishwala. Same the Brahman, limited by my, Maya or empowered by Maya, becomes the the god of this universe the creator preserver and destroyer of this universe um and we saw yamar gives us that that this is you know he gave us the the classic example the vedic example of the the tree where the roots are transcendent are subtle and this and branches are down below da- down below means here we see the universe around it those are the branches And the the tree, the reality of that tree, the substance of that tree is Brahman. The Brahman appears as that tree. Then not only that, Brahman is the consciousness, is the intelligence behind this this creation. So That also um, Yama indicated. Yama indicated that everything in this universe follows laws. And these laws are upheld by the sheer, you know, awesomeness of God, the power of God behind everything else. And you know, he said that everything works in this universe because of the fear of the Lord. Uh, so the, the the religious side of it, the theistic religion, God of religion, that also he mentioned. And then he went on to mention that uh, this: if you realize our real nature, that we are Brahman, you're free of suffering. How do you realize that? Um, Another interesting issue he mentioned was, is it only possible to realize it here, in this life, in human birth or anywhere else? And he said, yes, it is possible. You can realize, we can become enlightened. This knowledge is available in other worlds, in different heavenly worlds. But he pointed out, not as clearly and as directly as it is available here. Except, of course, he mentioned Brahma Loka. Which is a spiritual heaven, the highest of all heavens, where it is even more clear, even more direct, and even more possible. However, going there is not so all that easy. And in any case, we are not there yet. We are here. And lucky for us that here, this knowledge, enlightenment is directly available. If not so easily, it's still available. And we should use this time, this opportunity to become enlightened and free of bondage. Now, the sixth mantra. We are going to enter the sixth mantra. The sixth mantra is, "Indriyanam prithak bhavam udayastamayojchayat prithak utpadyamana nam matva dhiro na shochati." What is the translation, my Swami Gambhiranandaji? Having known the dissimilarity of the senses that originate separately, as also their rising and setting, the intelligent person does not grieve. All right. Sometimes these translations sound very dry and we we go, what? What did he say? What does it mean? But they are are very subtle and, and they're wonderful. Actually, they are all doorways, pointers to the ultimate reality to show us how we can realize Brahman and what is the point of it all. Of course, these things he has said again and again throughout the Upanishad. However, uh, here is summing up again. What's the point of this mantra? In his introduction, Shankaracharya, in his commentary on this mantra, Shankaracharya points out what's going on in this mantra. Uh, Shankaracharya's commentary. How do you realize this? How do you realize you are Brahman? Chidananda rupa Shivaam um shiva of the nature of consciousness and bliss well how do you realize it how does one realize it so what's the way of realizing it then what's the point of it all he says kim va tad prayojanam what is the prayojana, the purpose served what is the goal the point of it all what benefit do i get from realization from enlightenment so both of these points are uh, these questions are answered here there is a method of realizing who am I, which is pointed out here. And the result. The result, of course, Matva Dhiro Nashochati. The word Matva means realizing. the literally means the patient one, the spiritual hero, the one who is a spiritual seeker, the sincere spiritual seeker. Nashochati does not grieve, goes beyond sorrow, overcomes suffering. The goal is to overcome suffering, transcend suffering forever. How do we realize our Brahman nature? He's going to go into that. A particular technique is given. He says, look at the functioning of the senses. Notice three things. The difference, they're different. And they're... Um, Sources, the origins of the senses are different. And finally, the, the senses, their functioning originates, They function sometime, and they stop functioning at other times. So three points he has made. One point is the senses are all different. What they're doing, their functions are different. That's one point. The second point is the origin of the senses, where they come from, it's different. They're all different. And the third point he makes is The senses sometimes function and sometimes do not function. These three, he says, these are the clues to, this is one method, a clue to enlightenment, to realize that I am pure consciousness. How? We'll go into that. We'll go into that. But before that, just an observation about realization or enlightenment. In the Vriyadarnik Upanishad, which we'll get to eventually, I don't know when, but sometime, (laughs) uh, there, the uh, it is said that you one must become enlightened. It is said atmaavare um, drashtavya shrotabya mantavya niridhya the atman. So Yagyavalke is teaching his wife. So the atman, my dear, uh, he says, has to be seen. Drashtavya, you have to see the atman. Now just stop here. Just stop right there. See means what? You can't see it. Why does he say that that Atman has to be seen? Um, Can it be seen with these eyes? We know it can't be. The self, the ultimate reality, cannot be seen with eyes, nor with any other senses. It can't be heard by the ears or smelt by the nose or tasted by the tongue or touched by the skin. No, it cannot be. It's not an object of the senses. One might say, yeah, yeah, I mean, we don't mean it in that crude sense. We mean it. Seeing means like you know when you explain something and we say, "Oh, I see." What do I mean? I don't see. I understand. That's what we mean. So, seeing is another uh, another meaning, a deeper meaning of the uh, of seeing is understanding. In English, in Sanskrit, also. Um, in fact, the word for philosophy in India, darshana. You see, darshana is darshana literally comes from the Sanskrit root, to, drish, to see. But there it doesn't mean, in philosophy it doesn't mean you have to see something. It means you have to understand something, knowledge. So darshana seeing, is equivalent to understanding. Um, in, um, uh, in Indian philosophy, there's always this motive of the third eye. This yes, third eye is supposed to be here. And often it's shown, we used to read these comics as children, and the third eye of Shiva opens and a ray of light goes out from there like a superpower or something. It means knowledge. The eye of knowledge. Uh, realization, knowledge. It can be worldly knowledge, but ultimately it means spiritual knowledge. The realization of the ultimate nature of things, our own ultimate nature. That, that comes through knowledge. So seeing means knowledge. But even there, if you say Atma, it means knowledge. Um, there also is a problem. Knowledge... To understand through the mind. But can it be understood by the mind? We again and again say that it is beyond the mind. Avang marasa Can it be expressed? Yes, it can't be seen by the eyes or you know, not an object for the five senses. Fine. But can it be expressed in language? Can it be understood by thought? Can it be conceived by the intellect? And we again and again say beyond language, beyond thought. So if it's beyond language and beyond thought, how can you know the Atman? How can you know the Atman? Is it an object of knowledge at all? And if it's not, then why did uh, uh, the, in the Upanishad, why is it said, Atma vare drashtabya? My dear, the Atman should be seen. First, one must appreciate this, this uh, whole the conundrum, the whole problem here. Uh, to see the Atman, all right, knowledge of the Atman, but is the knowledge of the Atman at all possible? And if it’s not possible, why did he say, why did the Upanishad? Why does the Upanishad say, the Atman has to be seen Atma. So what does it mean here? It is true. The Atman is not an object of any of the senses. And it is also true. The Atman is not, it cannot be expressed in language. It is also true. The Atman cannot be conceived of by the intellect. So it’s not an object of knowledge at all. Um, then what does it mean, seeing? It's like one of the Shankaracharyas, recent Shankaracharyas. He was in Kanchi Kamakoti Peter. He explained it this way. He says, when you are told, strike a um, you know, piece of wood with the sword. You know, st- Strike the piece of wood with the sword. What, what is the, what's the instruction? You have to cut the piece of wood with the sword. But if he says, strike the mountain of steel or, or, or iron with a sword, well, if you do that, the sword will, will, will break. You can't cut it. The sword itself will break. Similarly, when it's when the Upanishad says, see the Atman, the Atman is to be seen, Atma vare drashtavya. What it means is, the all the attempts to see, to understand, to objectify, the Atman comes to an end. The sword of objectifying, of objectifying knowledge, you know, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, uh, linguistically expressing and conceptually understanding, all of that comes to an end. It fails. Now, this, has, this is a, a dangerous thing to say. One must carefully understand this. Otherwise, what will happen is a kind of agnosticism that, oh, the Atman cannot be known. It is something unknowable. So let's give it up. What's the point? No, no, no. Vivekananda says, you must not go away with the uh, idea that it is unknown or unknowable. It is more than known. The, uh, The clarity dawns on us that the Atman is ever known in every bit of knowledge, in every sensory knowledge, in seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, in thinking, in imagining, in desiring, um, in waking, dreaming, deep sleep, all that is actually known is the Atman. And it is Atman is revealed to the enlightened one. The Atman is revealed in every knowledge, in every knowledge, Pratibodhaviditam Matam. Kena Upanishad says, we'll get to that Upanishad also. Pratibodhaviditam Matam, in every knowledge, whatever knowledge we are having, whatever experience we are having. In every knowledge, in every experience, when you see the Atman, when you see your real nature, when you see Brahman, then, you are, then one attains to immortality. It's constantly being revealed to us. This clarity becomes so overwhelming, there's no question of trying to, um, you know, uh, see the Atman, or objectify the Atman, or even know the Atman, or realize the Atman. What is most obvious, why would you try to realize it anymore? That is the meaning of atma Atmavaridrashtabhi. It must become so clear, so effortlessly revealed. Just as with the eyes, we what do we try to do? We try to see things. But we never ever try to see the eyes with the eyes. Because we understand what the eyes are. They are meant to reveal objects to us. They are meant to reveal forms to us. Whatever can be seen, We can see it with the help of the eyes and we try to see that with the help of the eyes. But the eyes themselves are not an object which they can see. How can you, um, you know, if the sword is used for cutting, how can you cut the same sword with that, you know, that sword which you are using for cutting, how can you cut the same sword with that sword? You cannot. A thing cannot operate on itself. Try to, you can lift things with your hands. But try to lift yourself. You can't. (laughs) It's impossible. Uh, You know, can hold your shoelaces and try to pull yourself up by your own shoelaces. You can't. (laughs) So, thing cannot operate upon itself. Similarly, we know once we realize what the Atman is, there's no further desire to try to objectify and realize it as an object. That is the deeper meaning of Atma varidrashtabya That level of clarity effortless realization that then there's no point or there you understand it's um, the foolishness of trying to get an objective knowledge of the atman see there are people large numbers of people who have no effort at all in trying for self-realization we are not talking about them here the vast majority of people around us they will say yeah, yeah i also don't want to see the atman i have no interest at all we are not talking about them we're talking about those who have are spiritual seekers, we want to realize Brahman, we want to realize the Atman, I want to know who am I. Then the next step becomes, because our, all our knowledge is objectifying knowledge, we immediately, helplessly, we objectify this. So the Upanishad tells us, the teachers have told us, my real nature is something, existence, consciousness, bliss, infinite being, infinite awareness. Good, I want to experience that. And then we are, this is, this is the next big obstacle that we are trapped in trying to objectify and find it. We'll never find it. Not because it does not exist. It, because it's not an object of uh, seeing. It's not an object of understanding. Uh, so then how do we get to this point where my realization of the self is so effortless that I do not seek to objectify anymore? The next part of that commandment from the Preradhana Upanishad. Atma bhare drashtabhyo. The Atman is to be seen. How? Not with eyes. Shrotabhyamantabhyaniridhyasitabhyat. The entire process of Jnana Yoga. First, listen to these teachings. in The Upanishads, Kathopanishad, Bundaka, Briararanya, Kena. The Vedantic teachings. Listen to them carefully from a teacher. Then second, uh, consider them well. Try to understand what, what is being said here. Third, once you have got clarity, you know the teaching, you have understood it, then stay with it. Then it will become clear to you. Uh, then the, first, the ignorance will go away. You know, there's no, what is this Atman? I am just this body, mind. That ignorance will, will go away. First we will realize, yes, my real nature is Satchidananda. We will we'll at least get the information. Next, the objectifying uh, nature of uh, our mind. But once we get the information, I am existence consciousness, place. I must somehow try to experience this existence consciousness, place. That will be overcome by the deeper understanding uh, that realization will come. I am actually always experiencing uh, existence consciousness, place all the time. All right. Now, how do we do this? The different methods are given in the Upanishads. One method is now mentioned by... um, Yama, he tells. These are all methods which have been talked about earlier. Here he talks about. But same thing in a different way. What is the method? He says, consider our sensory experiences. We see, hear, smell, taste, touch. What what should I consider about our sensory experiences? He says, three things. First, notice that the senses are separate. Prithak bhavam. Separate means If you take a flower, the eyes will tell you one thing, that it's red. Uh, Like a rose, you know, the eyes will tell you it's red. If you smell it, your nose will tell you another thing entirely. It's a beautiful fragrance. No red fragrance. You touch it. The skin will tell you something entirely different. Not red, not fragrance, soft petal you taste it, you will get the rose taste. taste. Um, it's a kind of, a sharbat can also be made with the, with the rose uh, um, flavor. So it will give you a taste. It will not give you red, not at all. It will not give you a smell, a fragrance, not at all. Nor will it give you a soft touch, no. It will only give you a, a, a taste. Every sense gives you different um, experiences. All right, then, and all of those experiences are revealed to you, to ourselves, we experience it because of one thing in the background, this consciousness, which you are, which I am, our real nature. So the senses are multiple, but the experience of all those senses uh, is possible. The multiple experiences, they're all possible because of the one consciousness in the background. This is one point. The difference of the senses. Senses cannot reveal. They, one sense even cannot reveal the object of another sense. The eyes cannot give you the fragrance of the rose. The eyes cannot give you the taste of the rose. The tongue cannot show you the redness of the rose. Impossible. They cannot. They operate separately. Do you see what is being said? and yet we we you we all of us effortlessly we see the red rose we smell the fragrance of the rose we uh, taste the rose uh, flavor we touch the petal of the rose and we feel the softness all of these things we clearly experience i one person how because of the that unifying uh, the, the thing at the, the background this one consciousness which enables us to experience color and taste and smell and flavor and all of that. So five senses running out in five different ways, very different from each other. But when they bring in their data and they dump it into the mind, in the mind, illumining all of this information is one thing only. Notice in our own experience, the consciousness, our own conscious experience, the objects are different. Sight is different, from red is different from soft, is different from rose smell, is different from rose taste. Seeing is different from smelling, is different from tasting, is different from um, touching. And yet all of this becomes unified in consciousness. All of these experiences are revealed to one consciousness. Is it not? It's very interesting. Indriyanam, pitak, Bhavam. Just meditate upon the the various activities of the senses and notice how they are all unified in one radiance. The radiance which illumines all the information from the senses is one. Where where does this happen? In our first person experience. In your experience of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. It's all made possible by one light. That light is one. They're not different. That one consciousness. All right. Then the second one, it requires a little bit of Vedantic cosmology. Indriyanam, nam. The sources, the origin of these senses are, is different. What does it mean? Here we have to go back a little bit to our Vedanta Sara. Um, what did Vedanta Sara tell us about the senses? It says there are five elements, uh, the, the Vedantic cosmology, five elements. Uh, akasha, vayu, agni, Apa, prithvi. So, space, air, fire, water, earth. Now, what do we have to remember? If you remember Vedanta, sorry, it, it tells us that each of these elements uh, has qualities, has certain qualities. So, akasha is the substratum, space is the substratum of sound. Then, Air, Vayu, has got two qualities, sound and touch. Fire has got three qualities, sound, touch and form. Um, Water has got four qualities, sound, touch, uh, form and taste. And Earth, Prithvi, has got five qualities, sound, um, touch, form, taste and smell. So... Um, the ancient cosmology was the ear, the uh, you know, the, the sense organ which gives us an experience of sound, it has its origins in the uh, element space. So the power to hear is connected with the element of space. The power to sense touch is connected with the element of air. The power to see is connected with the element of fire. The power to, um, to uh, uh, you know, taste is connected with the element of water. And the power to smell is connected with the element of earth. All right. That's what it means. The sensory powers have their origins in the five different elements. Space, air, fire, water, earth. Five senses, five sensory powers, and they are originating in five different elements. Their origins lie in five different elements. And yet, what does the Upanishad say? Taittiriya Upanishad. Where did these five elements come from? Let, and there's another Upanishad. We'll eventually get to that also. <laughs> so the Taittiriya Upanishad says Tasmadva atmana, akasha sambhuta. From you, the Atman, from consciousness, emerges space. Akashad vayu, from space emerges air. Vayor agnehi, from air emerges fire. Agner apaha, from fire emerges water. Adbhyapritivi, from water emerges the earth. So this is the old ancient cosmology. The whole sentence from the Upanishad is, Tasmadva etasmadatmana akasha sambhuta akashat vayu. Vayor Agni Agni Rapa So the five elements emerge from um, each succeeding emerges from the earlier one, from the subtler, the more gross one. But the subtlest of all of them, space, it emerges from consciousness, from you, the Atman, which means you are prior to these five elements. You are prior to these five elements. Yeah you are prior to these five elements means who is older who is senior you the atman or or space you are senior because atman uh, space comes from you and the capacity for hearing sound and the capacity for hearing comes is a modification of space element that comes afterwards who is senior you are um, are, or you know um, touch Uh, you are senior because from you has come space, from you the consciousness uh, arises space, from space arises uh, air, from the power of air, from the element air arises, the the sense organ for touch and the sensation of touching. So, like this. So, the point here is, you are prior to the emergence of the elements and the emergence of the uh, sense organs based on those elements and the emergence of the sensory experiences. So you are prior. Basically it means consciousness is prior to all, of, all all sensations. Sensory functioning, origin of the senses and the functioning of the senses, consciousness is prior to all of them. This is the meaning of prithag utpadyam They all originate separately, but you are prior to them. Not only you are prior to them, you are more pervasive than them. Pervasive than them means um, seeing and hearing, they don't go together. They, their operation is different, but you pervade both as consciousness. Uh, hearing and touch are different, but you pervade both, you as consciousness. Because if you didn't, there would be no experience of hearing, touching, seeing. All of those are made possible by you, because you as consciousness pervade the activities of all the senses. You are more pervasive. You are prior to these senses. So this is the meaning of uh, the the separate origination of the senses. You are before all of them. That's another way of appreciating what you are or what we are. And then the most important, Prithak bhavam udayastamayo, The separate arising, functioning and seizing of the senses. Now notice, our um, waking state, We in this waking state, we see, we hear, we smell, we taste, we touch. There are forms, there is taste, there is touch, there is sound, there is smell. We are contacting a world through the gates of the five senses. This is what is called waking. And now in the dream state, when we fall asleep, all the gates are shut. The five gates are shut. Yet, in the dream state, you still continue. Without, when the senses shut down, you still continue. What continues? The mind continues. Not only that, notice the mind does something magical. When all, your eyes are closed in sleep, your sense organs are not connected. You are you're, you're offline. <laughs> you are sleeping offline. And yet, In our dreams, we actually, we see, we hear, we smell, we taste, we touch, we feel like we can hear people talking. Not only that, we act also. We feel that we are walking around, talking to people. We feel our sense organs are functioning. We feel our motor organs are functioning. We feel that we are seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting. Actually, the physical senses are not functioning there. Um, And we are walking and talking. Actually, the physical organs are not functioning unless you are sleepwalking or talking in your sleep. Then the physical organs are not functioning. And yet the mind in it by itself can do all that. Showing thereby, even in the waking state, all the senses are acting, but they all depend on the mind. In the, connected with the mind, the eyes are able to see. Connected with the mind, the ears are able to hear and so on. Anyway, in the dream, the point here is Astam, the five physical senses have set. Astam means the sunset. The senses have set. They are not functioning. And yet you are there. Not only there, you are active in your dream. Things are happening. Your experience is going on. Furthermore, even the mind shuts down. Even the mind shuts down. Then there is no objective experience anymore. There is no differentiation of experience anymore. There's a blankness. But that blankness is also an experience. Blankness does not mean the universe has disappeared. That there's nothing. No, if there was nothing, then you could not wake up, come back again. When we come back again to our waking state, all our memories are there. All our tendencies are there. The external world is revealed to us. We are still there. That means in the blank state also, it was like a seed state. We are in the seed state, in the blank state. That blankness, it's not An absence of experience. I always say it's an experience of absence. You know, it's like I'm showing you the book here. This is the presence of the book. Now you're seeing the presence of the book. If I immediately remove the book, you're aware of the absence of the book. If I remove everything, you're aware of the absence of everything. See, when I remove, here's the book. You're seeing the book. Are you conscious? Yes. When you remove the book, you're not seeing the book. The book is absent. Are you conscious? Yes. Has it made any difference to your consciousness? Not at all. Similarly, when this entire world is removed by the shutting down of the senses, this mind is still active. You are conscious. Has made any difference to your consciousness? No. Senses have shut down. Your consciousness is still there and it is experiencing whatever the mind generates. Consciousness has not gone away. When the mind shuts down in deep sleep, it's experiencing the absence of the mind. No difference is made to consciousness. This is the point. So let me repeat that. What is being said here? Notice the activity and the cessation of activity of the senses. I mean, what do you understand from that? In all the senses, various activities, are behind it all, I am the consciousness. I am there. Without me, no, none of the senses would give any kind of experience. If, eyes were, if the eyes are there, I can see. I can see the color red of the rose. If my eyes are shut, I cannot see the color red of the rose, but I am still there, the conscious being. The one which saw the red rose, when the eyes are shut, I cannot see the red rose, but I am there. (laughs) However, if this eye, this consciousness were not there, even if the red rose is there, eyes are open, you can't see. There would be no experience of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, nothing. It would go dark the universe would disappear into darkness. So this consciousness is there when the senses are active. When the senses shut down and you go into dreamland, in the world of dreams, consciousness is there. When the mind shuts down, neither the senses are functioning, nor the mind is functioning, blank, everything is removed. Consciousness continues, revealing the absence of everything. The absence of the sensory world The absence of the mind, since the mind is absent, you cannot even think, oh, I am now watching absence, that you cannot think, because the thinking is also mind, so the mind has gone, but you consciousness, you continue, this is the clue, the pointer, so this is the analysis of the activity and the the cessation of activity of the senses, if we focus on these three points, you will realize you are consciousness, this is what he is trying to point out. Here, implicit, of course, is the method of the three states, waking, dreaming, deep sleep. By observing, waking, dreaming and deep sleep, we realize I am the consciousness to which waking, dreaming, deep sleep are coming and going. That is basically what he's trying to point out. But there's a little more here. There's a little more beyond that. Because here the focus is on the senses. So three things he has pointed out. By pointing out the origin of the senses from the five elements, he shows that you are prior to the origin of the senses. You're prior to the five elements. The senses come from the five elements. And you are prior to the five elements. That's point one. What is prior to the five elements? You, the consciousness. Second, um, the senses are separate. You are the one light which unites all the sensory activities. The separation of the senses... They all have their areas of operation. You know, none can duplicate the activity of the other. The eyes cannot hear, the ears cannot see, the nose cannot touch. Uh, So none of them can duplicate each other's activities. Yet behind all of them is one common radiance, consciousness. That's the second point. Third point, most important, this waking, dreaming, deep sleep. Activity of the senses, waking world. Cessation of activity of the sensation, senses, but mind goes on active, dream world. Cessation of activity of senses and mind, deep sleep world. All three worlds appear to you, the consciousness. They come and disappear in front of you, the consciousness. You don't come and go. You are constant. This constant consciousness revealed by the uh, origination of the uh, senses, the difference of the senses, And the activity and cessation of activity of the senses, this is what he is pointing out. This is the meaning. Then he says, if you know yourself as this consciousness, and then you are in the middle of the world, let the mind start working, let the senses start working, experience the world, see, hear, smell, taste, touch, think, remember, all thoughts and emotions come and go, you are safe. As consciousness, you are beyond sorrow, he says. Matva shochati. Shankaracharya explains. How do you go beyond sorrow if you are consciousness? Isn't sorrow also possible because you are consciousness? <laughs> yes. Atmano <laughs> nitya Shankaracharya says, because the Atman is eternally of the same nature, consciousness. In waking state, consciousness, you are aware. In dream state, consciousness, you're aware. In the blankness and absence, which is in the deep sleep state, your consciousness, awareness. And that does not change. That neither comes nor goes, neither increases nor decreases. If somebody says, no, no, no. When I take a cup of coffee, I'm more con- um, more conscious. The mind is more active. That's why you feel more uh, alert. When I'm sleepy, and then I'm less conscious. No, the mind has become duller. That's why you, you feel like that way. Consciousness reveals the sharpness of the mind and the sleepiness of the mind also. Consciousness reveals deep sleep, complete shutdown of the senses and the mind. So consciousness is ever the same. Neither increases nor decreases. But sorrow, notice, consciousness is ever the same. The body is not ever the same. The senses are not ever the same. The mind is not ever the same. If you talk about, oh, uh, I am old and wrinkled and, um, um, you know, bent. And my teeth have fallen out. My hair, I have lost my hair. I am old. Body. Consciousness exactly the same. If I am strongly centered, that I am the awareness. Old body. Body was born, it aged, now it is old. I am perfectly all right. Mm. Consciousness is supposed to be Purana. Very interesting. Pura eva nava. Uh, ancient yet ever new. Consciousness is ever new. Every moment it is new. <laughs> so you are ever young. What do they call? Forever 21. So consciousness is forever 21. Really speaking, forever 21 is consciousness only. So ever new. Then... Hungry, thirsty, tired, prana. It's the sense the, of the pranamaya kosha. That is what generates health and tiredness and illness and all of that. You are, when the prana generates hung, hunger, you, the consciousness, reveals the hunger in the body-mind. But you are not hungry. Consciousness doesn't eat, nor does consciousness become hungry. It gives us the experience of hunger uh, in the, because of the prana. Depression, unhappiness, restlessness. Consciousness reveals all of that. Where is that? In the mind, not in consciousness. If consciousness were depressed or restless, see, as, I, as we said, consciousness is constant. Then deep sleep also you would be depressed or rest, restless. Never. It goes away. The moment the mind shuts down, it goes away. Why only shuts down? Even if there is depression or restlessness, Momentarily it is there, within few weeks, within few months, again it's not there. Within few minutes, within few hours, again it's not there. So that's the nature of the mind and that is revealed by consciousness. Consciousness itself is not restless. Consciousness itself is not depressed. Consciousness itself is not unhappy. Okay. Um, Then, understanding, not understanding, remembering, forgetting. These are memory and intellect. But consciousness is the witness of all of them, illumines all of them. So, consciousness, because of its constant nature, he says, "Nitya ekasvabhavasya abhya It does not flicker. Consciousness does not flicker. It's a constant light which does not flicker. Flicker it does not change its essential nature, and therefore uh, there is no possibility of sorrow in the consciousness nature in our real nature, uh, as pure being or pure awareness. Knowing that, matwa, you're realizing that in the midst of this aging body, in the midst of the tidal waves of prana sweeping through our body, sickness, hunger, thirst, energy, health, the, the rise and decline of the body and health, we are perfectly all right. We notice it, we are all right. We can say, I, I mentioned... Swami was suffering from asthma, uh, you know. And then somebody next day in the morning, a monk asked, uh, Swami, how are you today? And he said, I'm perfectly all right. But, but Swami, we heard last night you suffered terribly from asthma. He says, oh, you mean the body? Not at all all right and not good at all. <laughs> so <laughs> he is so clear that as Atman, as consciousness, I'm perfectly all right. What can happen to me? Whereas well, as body, no, no, I can understand. The body is not doing well at all. It's going, to, and then he goes on to say, "It's the nature of the body. It will become old and decrepit, and it will die. It's all right." Shankaracharya comments here, and he adds a quotation from Chandogya Upanishad: "Tarati shokam Atmavit. The one who realizes the conscious nature of the consciousness, nature of the self, goes beyond sorrow. Tarati shokam atmavit. Then, the next two mantras. Further, he goes on to explain. How does one realize the self? So the next two mantras will tell us something is already taught in the first chapter, that the pancha kosha vichara, the five uh, levels of the human personality, the five sheets of the human personality, the body, the prana, the mind, the intellect, and the causal body beyond that, the karana sharira. So, you know, the annamaya, pranamaya, manomaya, Vijnanamaya, anandamaya, the five sheets. He's going to talk about that now. Said it earlier, also shown it by the chariot example, the you know ratha, the chariot example. Now he's going to again remind you Najiketa know, of this method. Number seven Indriebhya param mano manasa sattva muttamam sattva dadhi mahan atma mahatovyatta muttamam. The translation is, the mind is superior to the organs, the intellect is superior to the mind, mahat, the great soul, is superior to the intellect, the unmanifested is superior to mahat. Then the eighth one. <speaking in foreign language> But superior to the unmanifest is the purusha who is pervasive and is indeed without worldly attributes knowing whom a man becomes freed and attains immortality. Basically the analysis of the five sheets. What is done here? To realize that I am the witness consciousness I am consciousness, I am Atman, Brahman we start with the most the most gross the most outer outermost um, aspect of the human personality and step by step we go into subtler and subtler aspects why do we do that this is known as arundhati nyaya shakha chandra nyaya it's a method used you know in philosophy where in teaching basically it's a pedagogical uh, method you go from what is most obvious to something that is less obvious and then to the subtlest from the gross to the subtle to the subtlest. If you straight away say, you are pure consciousness, it makes no sense. I'm, I, I think I am this person here sitting on this in this chair. How am I pure consciousness? What is pure consciousness? I have no idea of that at all. It's impossible for me to grasp. Now this step, will, this methodology will take us to our real nature as pure consciousness. And then the statement, you are Brahman, then it makes sense. You are Brahman only when first we realize I am the witness consciousness. That is the first step to realizing our Brahman nature. As a body, I am, you, you just can't see a Brahman. What is Brahman? The ultimate reality of this universe. That in which this your entire universe appears. How can I, this person sitting in this chair here, how can I be the ultimate reality of this universe? And it's, not, it's impossible. It's crazy. So first I have to be shown something that is subtler, deeper, closer to my real nature and more pervasive than that statement that you is Brahman, that one which you have understood. So that understanding first has to be generated. The, the understanding as the, the self as witness consciousness. So he starts as Paramana. The mind is superior, subtler, more inwards. Su- superior in what sense? It's subtler and more inwards. So, External objects, the entire world, he that is external, and we, he doesn't mention that because nobody identifies. you know, I don't identify myself with this book or this laptop or this uh, even this cloth or this this shirt. These are all external to me, so we do, we don't identify ourselves with that. But we do identify ourselves with the body. So he starts with the body. He says, "This body, which is revealed to us by the five senses." these senses are external to the mind the mind is internal to the senses so the sensory system is external gross object compared to the mind which is subtle and internal what do we do with this we have to first understand what is being said and then notice it notice it so how does it work look at our experience of the world What is our experience of the world right now in the waking state? I see forms and color and shapes. I hear sounds. I smell um, fragrance. I touch uh, and I taste. Now, if I ask you, what is closer to you? The things which you see or the eyes which are seeing? Closer to you as the self. I'll say the eyes are closer to me. What is closer to you, the sound which you are hearing or the ears by which you are hearing the sound? I'll say the ears are closer to me. The senses are closer to me than the objects. Is this clear? Mm-hmm. See, the teaching is we have to move with the teacher. So every step, stay with. You know, you go from the objects to the senses, stay there. Go from the senses to the mind, stay there, stop. Mind to the intellect, stop. And then like that you have to go. So are we uh, clear here? That the objects are external, the senses are closer to me. They are more internal. Senses are superior to the objects. He has not even said that. He has already assumed that. Um, Superior means inwards, closer to me, subtler to me. And I notice, yes, it's a fact. Now consider the senses themselves. The eyes and the capacity for seeing, ears and the capacity for hearing and all of that. All of them are cognized, understood, experienced by the mind. You know What is the mind? Thoughts, emotions, perceptions, memories, what's going on inside, first person experience. So that mind is the common ground where all the five senses dump their information. That mind is where seeing is actually happening. Seeing is not happening in the eyes. Not even happening in the brain. No matter what neuroscientists might tell you. In the brain, they will show you some neurological activity. Some little bursts of electricity which fMRI scans will reveal to you. But your actual experience of seeing or mind is happening in the mind. Pay no attention, no seeing will happen. Even if the eyes are open and the objects are there. No hearing will happen. Your mind is distracted, no hearing will happen. Even if uh, Swami is talking and ears are open, nothing. So, the mind is where all sensory inputs are dumped and sensory experience actually happens. So, the mind is superior to the senses. All five senses. The mind is superior. Which is closer to you? The eyes or the mind? The mind, of course. Not only closer. Most of us think I am the mind. We feel that. I am the mind. So I, the self, the mind is very close to me or I am the mind. Senses are comparatively external. They are objects to the mind. Just as sights are objects to the eyes. Sounds are objects to the ears. Similarly, eyes and ears are objects to the mind. The mind is superior to... Notice what is superior controls the other one. The mind controls the senses. The mind is aware of the senses. The eyes cannot see the mind. But the mind is aware of the eyes. Ears cannot hear the mind. But the mind is aware of the ears and the functioning of the ears. So the mind is superior. Inwards. Uh, Indriyabhya paramana. That's the first step actually. uh, Which uh, Yama says. Then... Manasa, so here sattva, the word sattva does not mean sattva, rajas, tamas, the three gunas, no. Here sattva means buddhi, intellect. intellect So the indriyas are actually taken as part of the pranamaya kosha. And then higher than the pranamaya kosha is the manomaya kosha, the mind sheath. Higher than the mind sheath is the intellect sheath, the vijnanamaya kosha. What do I mean? Normally we take the intellect as part of the mind. Here is making a distinction. The intellect is the higher mind by which we understand things. Even Vedanta, which we are trying to do, is with this analysis we are doing with the help of the intellect. Not with emotions. With the capacity of noticing and understanding. So this intellect is higher than the rest of the mind. Let's put it that way. Vijnana maya kosha is subtler than the other parts of the mind. Uh, Manasa Sattva uttamam. Sattvam buddhi. Vijnanamaya kosha. The intellect. Again stay with me here. Just this faculty of understanding. Now he does something a little different. He says. Yama says. Sattvada adhi mahanatma. Higher than the Sattva. The Vijnanamaya kosha. Is Hiranyagarbha. The cosmic mind. What does he mean here? If we proceed along this track. What will happen is. The way he's doing External world to senses, senses to mind, mind to intellect, from intellect back to the, um, the causal body, anandamaya, will come to the witness consciousness. I am the consciousness, which is the ex- experiencer, the witness of the five sheets. But it will be tainted with the sense of individuality, of limitation. I will always have this intuition, the intellect will have this intuition, that I am the one con- witness consciousness, in this five sheets, in this individual body, together is known as Sarvapriyananda, labeled Sarvapriyananda. This is the body, these are the senses, this is the mind, this is the intellect, beyond that is the blankness of the Anandamaya Kosha. I am the consciousness illuminating the five sheets. But wait a minute, there are so many other people here and they all have five sheets and they all must be having a separate consciousness within. This oneness of existence, that will not be revealed. From there, it will be difficult to jump to one consciousness. So what he does here is, at the level of understanding, intellect, he opens a doorway to the cosmic mind. Just as here there is understanding, buddhi, the vijnanamaya kosha. Similarly, it is the same thing in all beings. Whichever embodied beings are there, all uh, these uh, sentient beings, they also have an intellect sheath, Vijnanamaya Kosha. And all the minds are connected, they are part of one cosmic mind. What will be the advantage if we do this? If we do this, when we come to the witness consciousness, it will be the one witness consciousness behind the cosmic mind. One light which illumines all minds and all senses and all bodies. All sentient beings behind that one light, one consciousness. Not this this intuitive feeling that there are many lights in many bodies and minds. This is, this is the goal. That's why when the, the teaching, you are Brahman will become active, which become, will make sense at that time. So, sattva radhi mahanatma. The mahanatma here means mahat or hiranyagarva, the cosmic mind. Mahato Uttamam. Higher than this cosmic mind is maya. See, now he has gone from the individual to the cosmic. Instead of saying Vigya- uh, anandamaya kosha, the causal body in our, in our dream, in our deep sleep, he's saying avyaktam, avyakt is maya, the causal body of Ishwar of God. So higher than the cosmic mind is avyakt or maya. And you are the consciousness, the one consciousness which illumines maya, the uh, cosmic mind, of which our individual minds and sensory systems and bodies are parts. Okay. Now, the next one, he comes to the point. The, the ninth verse. Eighth verse. vyapako Beyond the, beyond maya, beyond the causal body, beyond anandamaya kosha. What is this anandamaya kosha? Experientially, what, what are we talking about? Our deep sleep experience. When we fall asleep, in deep sleep, external world senses are not experienced, senses are not being, uh, not working, mind is not working, sense of ego is not working, intellect is not working, all of it is shut down. That blankness, but it's not nothing. It's a seed state where everything is contained. Similarly, as we have a seed state individually, the entire universe has a total seed state. All our um, causal bodies together comprises The causal body of Ishwara called Maya. So this Maya, um, beyond that, Purusha. Purusha here means consciousness. Beyond that is consciousness. How do you know? Because you are experiencing it. The very fact that you experience deep sleep, the very fact that you experience dreams, the very fact that you experience a physical world, the gross, the subtle and the causal, they are all revealed to you because there is consciousness and you are that consciousness. You are Purusha, transcending the causal state, transcending the causal body. If you look at it in terms of the five sheets, physical body, where the senses are also implicated. Actually, senses are in the pranic body. Anyway, physical body, annamaya. Then the pranic body, pranamaya. Then the mental body, manomaya. The intellect, vijnanamaya And then the causal body, anandamaya. All five are appearing to you in Consciousness, you are that consciousness. In the waking state, all five are appearing. And the physical body is primary. In the dream state, the pranic body and the mental body are primary. And in the deep sleep state, the karana sharira, the causal body is primary, blankness, the seed state. But all are all five are appearing to you, the consciousness. What is the proof that you're consciousness? Because you are experiencing all these five. You transcend all five. Vyapaka. All pervasive. This consciousness is not limited in one body. We are not talking about one little consciousness. Experiencing the five sheets. In this Sarvapriyananda body mind. It is a one consciousness. In all our bodies and minds. We are one there. Alinga evacha. Linga means here. Any characteristic. Any sign. So there is. The, the intellect, the mind, the senses, the body, the external world—they have all characteristics. There is color, shape, sound—you um, know—the distinct characteristics are there for everything. But consciousness by itself has no uh, objective characteristics. And that's why one—that is, is important. If one should not try to objectify that. All right, now I have—I understand what the world is. I understand what the body is. I understand what the senses are. I can track what the mind is. I can even understand what the intellect is doing and I sort of understand the causal state, the blankness beyond everything. Now I want to understand consciousness. Don't do it. You will find nothing. You will find nothing. You will just find the void. But notice, it will be a luminous void. Why is it a luminous void? Because you will find no objective reality corresponding to this Atman Brahman. But there will be awareness. This luminosity, this emptiness, this um, uh, no Atman Brahman will be revealed to you the consciousness. That consciousness is the Atman. Yang Yatva Muchyate Realizing which I am that Aham Brahmasmi. Realizing which Muchyate, set free. Jantu. Jantu literally means animal. But uh, uh, in the technical meaning of Jantu is that which is born. That which is born. Janma, you are set free. The first, the preliminary reading will be, oh, so so many times I was born in various bodies and various lives. Now it is at an end. I will never be born again into this world of sorrow again. But deeper philosophical meaning, we see that as consciousness, I was never born. I was never born. Consciousness was never born at all. It's bodies which are born and bodies which die. I am released from my jantu nature. Literally, I am released from my animal nature. My jantu nature, the nature of being born. That I am released from forever. Amritatvam chagachati, attains immortality. Attains immortality does not mean that I was mortal earlier, now I have become immortal. I realize I was always immortal. It was always alright. I never was born, I never did die. As awareness, this magical display of samsara, of the five sheets which encapsulated media awareness and then it's not a problem anymore. If you have a causal body and a mental, an intellectual body and a mental body and a pranic body and a physical body, they are all your glory or your power because they can't trap you anymore. As long as we think we are that and we don't realize our consciousness nature trapped, when step by step we come to this consciousness nature and we realize here I am not beyond the five bodies, Uh, pancha, kosha, vilakshana atma, avasthatraya, sakshi atma. I am the witness of the three states of waking, dreaming, deep sleep. I am not, I am other than the five bodies, the five sheets. When I realize that, then I also realize this is the one reality behind all bodies and minds. I I am the oneness of this universe. Then I am free. And then I continue to uh, function through this system of five sheets, this body-mind complex, but then you will be called a G1 Mukta, um, enlightened while living. All right, I'll stop here. More, we will discuss it more next time. Let's quickly take a look at the question. So Priya says, can you explain the sword analogy again? Yes, the sword analogy is this. It's important to note what are we trying to do when we try to, I want to realize the Atman. The Upanishad says, Atma drashtavya. Atman should be seen, but it cannot be seen. The five senses cannot objectify it. The mind cannot think of it. Language cannot express it. Intellect cannot understand it. Then how do you see the Atman? Well, then you generate this knowledge by Shravana, Manana, nididhyasana, which will not knowledge of the Atman. It will. It's a knowledge which removes the misconception that I am not the Atman. Which makes it obvious to you that I always was the Atman. And uh, effortlessly so. So that's like, so when you say know something, it's like telling cut something with a sword. Cut the piece of wood with the sword. Understood. Pretty clear instruction. But if you say, know the unknowable. Cut a mountain of steel with the sword. This is the Saraswati. Um, was the Shankaracharya of Kanchi Kamakoti he he gave this example so he says cut that uh, mountain of steel it simply means the sword will be broken, will be smashed that the whole project of objectifying the ultimate reality will fail, you realize you are the ultimate reality, that's what it means Michael Bird says one has a miraculous vision of God has God now become an object being revealed to the person Through the background of the Atman. Yes. But remember, when you have visions of God, devotees have visions of God. and entirely possible. Mystical visions of God are entirely possible. Sri Ramakrishna had so many visions. And saints and mystics throughout the ages, throughout different religious traditions, have had visions of deities. Now what's that? It's not the pure consciousness as such. Because that can never be an object. That can never be an object. However, so are these delusions? Not at all. From an Advaitic perspective, we are always experiencing pure consciousness. If it's pure consciousness can at all be experienced, all experience is experience of pure consciousness. In one sense, all experience is experience of consciousness itself. What else is there to, uh, which will experience except consciousness? However, the experience in the world, sight, smell, taste, touch, you know, people, objective, objects, sense objects, activities, uh, desires, passions, memories, all of these veil the reality. It's a veil. And it obscures the, the reality that is pure consciousness. It, it doesn't allow us to see that we are pure consciousness and this universe is just the radiance of that pure consciousness. We don't see that. However, these mystical visions of God, which Krishna sees Kali, or whichever mystical vision one has, Those visions, though they seem objective in nature, they don't veil the reality. They are different ways of manifesting that same reality. So, uh, they are very helpful. Advaita, non-dualist will say, they are very helpful uh, in your realization of the non-dual reality. They they will not trap you in samsara. They will in fact help you to be free of samsara. Mystical visions of God. Girish says, what is it that you say, stay within Nididhyasana. You say the Advaitic concept of unitary Brahman, only a concept expressed in language in Vavaric domain. How do we know that is truth and how does that get us to the truth? Yes, so stay with it. If you see the techniques of Nididhyasana, then you will see what is meant by stay with it. But let me put it simply, uh, as far as I can. By listening to the teachings and by deliberating upon them, Shavana and Manana, one comes to a clarity. One can say that I now know the teaching that I am Brahman, what is meant by Brahman, what is pure consciousness, I know it and I understand it also. Now, what do you mean stay with it? You say, is it a concept? It's only a concept. No, because when you understand it, you realize you are it. Are you a concept? Are you a concept? No. See, for example, let me ask you, this body, is it a concept or is it real? It's real. These senses by which you are aware of the body. You can see, smell, taste, touch the body with the senses. These senses, sensory powers, are they concepts or are they real? They're real. Go make it subtler. The thoughts which are behind the mind, which is behind the senses. Is it a concept or is there really a mind? There's really a mind. Go deeper. The intellect which you are using to, organ- to understand all this. Is that a concept or is there really an intellect? <laughs> are we brainless? or is <laughs> so, We have a brain. We, are, we have an intellect. Yes, it's real. Beyond the intellect, the consciousness which makes all of this possible conscious experiences, is that consciousness a concept or is it a reality? If it was a concept, it would be a concept to consciousness. After all, what is a concept? A concept concept appears in uh, the Vijnanamaya Kosha, in the intellect, which appears in consciousness. So consciousness cannot be a concept. Consciousness is you yourself. If consciousness is only a concept, then you would be a concept. What Vedanta does, Shavana and Manana, what it does is, it clarifies you, which you exist. Nobody doubts it. That was Descartes' firm conclusion, the indisputable conclusion, that I exist. That I exist, that I is pure awareness, that is clarified by Shavana and Manana. I exist, the sense of my existence now is understood to be pure awareness. Stay with that pure awareness. Not as an object. Yeah. Bhargava says having known the dissimilated senses that originate separately as all well, they're rising and setting, the intelligent man does not grieve. Yes. Rick says, synesthesia, where senses overlap. True. But notice, even when the senses overlap, um, you seem to. Um, um, Music has colors, for example. Music has colors. Some people experience that way. Um, sounds have color. Uh, or, uh, now, there also, it is actually consciousness which is revealing all this. That principle remains the same. Sangitaas asks why sattva equated, understood to mean Vijnanamaya Kosha here. So one meaning of sattva is mind. Uh, because there is a reason. It is connected to the sattva guna actually. Mind is sattva-guna-pradhana. So the senses are rajaguna-pradhana. And the physical body, annamaya, is tamaguna-pradhana. So the, uh, uh, the manomaya-kosha, vijnanamaya-kosha are sattva-guna-pradhana. That's why uh, it also makes sense to call the vijnanamaya-kosha sattva. Vishwanath says the approach in mantra 7 using ekajivavada after the first two steps which are at the individual level? Uh, no, actually it avoids the uh, Eka Jiva conundrum. If you don't do that, you will end up with Eka Jivavada. Here it goes, takes you to the cosmic mind, which is uh, the mind of all the Jivas. So you admit there are many Jivas. I, here a little discussion might be there, a side discussion. M- one might object, wait a minute. Um, until we come to this cosmic mind, until that, the sense, body, the senses, I am aware of it. Directly I can experience it. If you direct my attention to it, I am aware of it. Mind, my contents of my mind, I am aware of it. My intellect, I am aware of it. But from that, if you ask me, cosmic mind or cosmic intellect, I am not aware of those things. The reason is, why are you not aware? Of course you cannot be aware, because all this awareness, is these, these processes are going on in one mind. But we are just being asked to understand. That this slice of mind is part of an ocean of mind. And the whole mind is lit up by consciousness. If the whole mind is lit up by one consciousness, why am I not aware of I, right now, I am aware of all the contents of all minds? It's because the operations are going on in one mind. In each mind, this experience is going on because of that one consciousness. See, because we are unable to separate consciousness from mind in our understanding, we keep thinking if I am one consciousness in all bodies and minds, I should be able to know what's going on in the minds of all beings. No, 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 not necessarily. <laughs> it's like many pots and in all the pots there's water and in all the water, one sun is reflected on tiny little suns and imagine that little sun illumines the contents of each pot. It is true that there's one sun behind all those little suns, but it's also true that each little sun will only illuminate um, the contents of the water in that pot. Bhargava says, "The seventh month from a meditative perspective." Yes, it is true. First, understanding, then noticing. But the meditation here will be a non-dual meditation. That is noticing, not the meditation of sitting quietly. First, notice the world. Then shut the eyes and notice the senses. Then shut. Then the turn your attention to the contents of the mind. Then turn your attention to this very intellect which is trying to understand. And then turn your attention even further inwards, blank. Notice that the blankness is appearing to you. That you to which the blankness is appearing, don't. Don't try to objectify. What will happen is, you'll immediately drop the all sensing, thinking, remembering, understanding, drop. Into a blankness. Drop that blankness also. (laughs) That's the interesting part of it. Jennifer says Maya is abyakta, Yes. I tend to think of Maya as manifest, not unmanifest. Yes, when Maya is manifest, it's the universe. Mm-hmm. And Maya in itself is called Abhyakta, unmanifest. It's the power of God. It's that which makes Brahman into God, Saguna Brahman. It makes Nirguna Brahman, pure consciousness, into Saguna Brahman. Raka says, how would you say that we are experiencing the Ananda Is the mind not active? how can we actually know that we are experiencing it that state aside from deducing it once the mind is back on life yes so deep sleep is it a deduction or is it an experience first of all it's clearly not an experience The kind of experience we have in the waking or the dreaming the way we are because waking dreaming is always subject object experience i see things through with my eyes that's waking i imagine things in my dream that's in in my mind that's dreaming but when it shuts down the mind shuts down there's no sense of i also there's no sense of an experienced object also but that that uniform blankness that's also an experience quote unquote it's not a deduction that's the big argument in advaita vedanta every culture every civilization in the world from the most primitive Native uh, civilizations, you know, the, uh, to, the, you know, every religion, every philosophy, everywhere you have language corresponding to deep sleep experience, in every language. How? If it was not an experience, then we would only talk about waking and dreaming. We would not even talk about um, uh, deep sleep, anesthesia, coma. We wouldn't talk about it. It's a blank, nothing. I knew nothing. That's also experience. That's why I say it's not an absence of experience. It's an experience of absence. Not that it's a done deal. There are like, there are schools of philosophy which will object to this um, uh, Advaitic formulation of deep sleep. uh, Advaitins have to defend that because for for them, consciousness generates experience. And if there is no experience at one point, that's an interruption in consciousness. That's not allowable. So they will argue for that deep sleep is also a kind of experience. Some Shamadai says Are we perturbations, fluctuations in pervasive cosmic consciousness? No. The universe, bodies, sensations, thoughts, emotions are perturbations in cosmic consciousness. We are that consciousness. And that's not even cosmic. Here's one little thing. Let me leave you with that. It's not even cosmic. See, when Upanishad says, all-pervading, it says, Vyapaka, consciousness is all-pervading. But actually, consciousness is not all-pervading. This pervading nature is because of accepting space. Once you accept space, because space appears in consciousness, then you say, consciousness must be everywhere. It pervades space. Consciousness is not even eternal. So once you accept time, then is consciousness cut up in time or is it throughout time? Then you say consciousness is throughout time. It's eternal nitya. It's not even all pervasive. This all, it's once you accept object, all living beings, non-living beings, stars, planets, quasars, squats. once you accept them all, you say sarvam khalvidam brahma. All of it is brahman. All of them are brahman. But even this all is imagined in consciousness. So really speaking, consciousness is not even eternal not even pervasive not even all so is it something small no 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 is it something limited in space no no no. located no is it something limited in time beginning and end no 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 in order to remove those doubts in order to remove those misconceptions about the limited nature of brahman we say brahman is a pure consciousness is um, all pervasive it is everything and it is eternal Vyapaka, Nitya, and Sarva. But actually, it's only in relation to space, relation to time, and relation to object that these epithets are given. In itself, you can't even say that, what, what consciousness is. Parul says, so Maya is causal expression of pure consciousness? Yes. Is it embedded even deeper than Anandamaya Kosha? Yes. Anandamaya Kosha is a part of Maya. It's the seeds which are kept in maya from which our individuality originates. And these are not theories. It's just like our deep sleep experience. Imagine, everything is obliterated in deep sleep, yet we all sprout back every day in the morning. We come back quick, kick kick, back into action. Just the same persons again. Where does this sprout come from? Rodrigo, can we be concepts to Ishwara? Mm, we are like children to Ishwara. I sometimes think, what would God think of us? Like a mother thinks of children. So we are like children to Ishwara. Because we are, we are from Ishwara. Like children are from the mother. We are from Ishwara. So we means individual sentient beings. Yeah. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Shri Ram Krishna